the bright lights, the innocent pleasures, there lies another world, the sinister world of Dr. Diablo. It is not for the faint of heart. No, what you find there will be more terrifying, more horrendous than your deepest, darkest dreams. <laughs> Who has the courage to try it? You, Jack Palance. Have you the courage to face what the fates have in store for you? <laughs> you, Burgess Meredith as the devil incarnate. What horror will you next reveal? You, Beverly Adams, what lies beyond your dreams to bedevil your future? The Torture Garden. Many people walk the length of its terror. No. This is the writer who shields the secrets of immortality. Did you know that there are ways to raise the dead? The rich man who'd sooner part with his life than his wealth. The money. The torture garden. It's where the devil calls the tune to play a concerto of fear. No! 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 There's a man out there with, with his head all... No! No! You are trapped. See, I promised you horror, and I intend to keep that promise. I hit him at the theater, and the usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens, and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. Barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. Yeah, yeah, like I six, did, I did. Yeah, what are we even six doing? in a row? Geez. It is. It was six in a row. I just bam, bam, bam. There you go. And welcome everyone to another edition of the Spoiler Room. So glad you folks could come down the stairs, pull up a chair with your favorite drink. I've got a new one tonight, by the way. Nice. Hey, what are you drinking? Malibu Splash, pineapple and coconut. Apparently, they're getting into the the uh whatever you know uh, like kool-aid the kool-aid lemonade <laughs> lemonade seltzer game it's pretty tasty actually malibu splash pineapple and coconut they had a strawberry and coconut but i figured i'd go 
uh, traditional with the pineapple and coconut. You put is Daryl the- Hannah on the can? No, Mel she's not, but she should be. She yeah. should be. So as, you know, uh, uh, Splash, uh, you know, her Splash character, her and Tom Hanks, they should get them on here. Uh, <laughs> but we're not here to talk about Splash. Uh, we are here to talk tonight, continuing our It's So Lifelike month, where art and murder and horror meet for this month. And yes, you heard his dulcet tones joining us tonight to talk about Torture Garden from 1967. Yeah, we set to Wayback Machine, folks. 1967 Torture Garden discussion. Man who keeps coming back for more. So glad to have him in the spoiler room, as always, Mr. Ian Simmons. Hello, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm very grateful. Um, I didn't know anything about this movie until I agreed to watch it for this series. (laughs) And then when I put it on and I saw who was in it and who was making it, I was like, did you plan this, Mark, like on purpose? Because this is so in my wheelhouse. I was just, yeah, start to finish. I was, I was like in love with the movie and in love with you. Oh, well, thank you. I, I am glad I, that makes that that makes me filled with joy because I discovered this. Uh, my uh, our good buddy Doc got me. I think the uh, the DVD. If I remember correctly, he told me about because I saw the credits and I'm like, yeah, I looked at this. I'm like, wait, Jack Palance. OK, wait, Burgess Meredith. Wait, Peter Cushing. What the f- <laughs> like? How have I not heard of this film? You know, it's it's uh, anthology film, folks. And yeah, Mr. Ian Simmons here, being the kind man that he always is is going to give us a synopsis tonight. No, you you already started. I no, think it's only I, fair that you I finish. Can, okay, I can. All right, no, I'll, 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 I'll do can, it. Okay. I'll do it. I'm just, I will, I'll do it, but, you know, you do it better. So. Well, thank you. Um, no, it's a, it is an anthology film, and it's uh, essentially these four people. Turns out it's five. But it's five, yeah. Oddly enough, <laughs> um, they go to essentially a carnival, and there's a House of Horrors, you know, Dr. Diablo's torture garden. Dr. Diablo is played by Burgess Meredith, the uh, wonderful penguin, or you might know him uh, from the Twilight Zone, but probably mostly the penguin. The penguin, Um, yeah. (laughs) And uh, yeah, he essentially gets these four slash five. Jack Palance, as you mentioned, is in the movie. He's one of the five people, but he's such a hanger on in the beginning that you almost feel like he's in league with Dr. Diablo because mm-hmm. he's kind of hanging back in the shadows and, and nodding and smiling. He doesn't say anything for most of the, you know, until his segment comes up in the movie, you know, later on. But uh, Dr. Diablo offers these people, he shows them around like his little wax museum. There's, there's an electric chair and like, oh, look, isn't that exciting? And he said, now for five pounds each, you can come back to this, you know, other secret room, and I'm going to show you something that's going to blow your mind. And it's 1967, so I guess five pounds was like an egregious a, amount yeah. for a carnival show. But the people agree to it, especially when Dr. Diablo says, look, if you're not completely thrilled, I'll give you your money back. And they're like, all right. Uh, so we meet this wax figure, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. who is a lady with these giant shears and some multicolored uh, strings uh, that represent... The, fate of each person that's you know uh, each of the spectators and um the deal is dr diablo says go up one at a time she will read your future like your your 
doom as prescribed by the devil, uh, and you will have a chance to either you know go along with it and choose to go that path, or you can choose something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's kind of like uh, a Christmas Carol in a weird way, the Ghost of Christmas Future. Sure. Um, so the bones of the story are the four stories from the people who are in this uh, this attraction, um, looking into their futures and all the weird evil things that await them. Um, it's kind of a very Tales from the Crypt, very Twilight Zone-esque. Mm-hmm. But also, this is Amicus Pictures, so it's not officially like Hammer, but I mean, it's directed by Freddie, <laughs> Freddie Francis, who did you know a bunch of Hammer films. The reason I'm into this, Mark, if I mm-hmm. might sidetrack, is because for two years I've been doing a series on Kicking the Seat called Hammerland, and now we're doing mm-hmm. Son of Hammerland, where each month we go and watch a different Hammer film with uh, with uh, Aaron Christensen of Horror 101 with Dr. AC. So I'm finally at the point now, because we started this as my education into Hammer films, because I sure. knew nothing about it before we started. Mm-hmm. But now I'm watching this like, that's Michael Ripper. Oh my God, there's Peter Cushing. Oh my God, look at the lights and the sets and the costumes. This is this is amazing stuff. Um, and Torture Garden is no exception. It's got a weird title, and it's not a movie that I don't think a whole lot of people know about, but they should. Totally agree. Well said. Uh, like I said, I, I was turned on to this by our buddy Doc, who's a huge Hammer fan. He he introduced me to pretty much any Hammer that I've watched uh, was introduced by him. He was like, here, watch it. And I, I love the style and the feel. And when I saw who was in this, I'm like, okay. And then I watched it. I'm like, this is awesome. You're right. It, it It's not going to be quite for anyone because it is British. I wasn't quite sure. I'm glad we have an expert on tonight because I wasn't aware of the Amicus connection and, and I wasn't familiar with some of the British actors in here as much as uh, yourself. So the Hammer connections, but I, I mean, I knew Cushing was the Hammer, you know, a Hammer connection, but um, it really it is like a Hammer horror anthology film of sorts. Uh, it is a bit dry. So there are a couple uh, stories in here that while are very cool, some people might find just a little bit dry. One in particular involving the second story about an actress, which, uh, you know, is interesting, yet at the same time, it is it is handled, I would say, rather Britishly. <laughs> Do you think so? I mean, maybe it's I just because so I'm, 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 I swim in those waters so mm-hmm. much that I can't tell. I mean, I, it's I, not... I, I think so, just because it's a little subtle. And, and what we're talking about, folks, and we, we're going to probably talk about these out of order. I do apologize. But the second story in here is an actress looks into the shears and she sees the future to where she's very ambitious. She uh, sabotages her roommate, gets this date with this producer out in Hollywood, makes connections. That producer leaves, but she meets another one and they she gets a part in a role in a movie. But she's talking to this actor who looks like he hasn't aged. And they talk about the top 10 in Hollywood, why they don't age. They're always very successful. Well, yes, folks, this is a spoiler room. Well, eventually, as events turn out, she suspects there's something more going on, and she discovers what it is. Apparently, a doctor had discovered a method to put their consciousness into synthetic bodies. Now, Grant, again, this is 1967, and they're talking about... Uh, synthetic, you know, uh, people uh, where uh, your consciousness is transferred and that's how they've been able to be successful for so long. And it's really interesting, but it 
it plays out subtly. I mean, you know how it turns out now, but I will say when I first watched this, I was kind of wondering where they were going. Didn't expect the sci-fi angle. <laughs> no. Um, and it's also, I don't know if they'd done this angle before in movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't, I doubt this was the first, but it very no, well could have yeah. been. Dr. Heim is the mm -hmm. surgeon and they refer to him as a refugee surgeon who has his own techniques. We're talking just over 20 years after the end of World War II. <laughs> yes. I, they don't say it, but I think we're talking Nazi doctor robots. S s says Heim, and I believe he has an accent as well. So yes. uh, when he does speak, so yes, they, they don't say it, but it's, it's implied of exactly what doctor he was of with his un unorthodox method. <laughs> and, you know, uh, Bruce Benton, I think is, um, yeah, he was the actor that um, right. our Carla Hayes falls in love with. Um, at one point, she scratches his face, mm -hmm. and that's when it's revealed what exactly is going on. Um, he's got a metal endoskeleton, like a T-800 or something, but we don't see it. Like, there's not a big reveal of, like, he pulls off his full face or anything. All we get are the little glimpses beneath the, t the finger tears in his cheek, and it looks, like, almost completely black. But maybe it was just the the stream I was watching. It might uh, be the stream. Amazon. It, it might be the stream because on the DVD, uh, uh, it, it does come out a little more silver. So, well, that's what I was um, going to say. It, yeah. It's dark, but as he moves around, you can see mm -hmm. kind of like a shimmer right. beneath it. And it's very cool. And the effect, the, the torn flesh effect reminded me of the TV series V from mm -hmm. the early 80s and also... What uh, Bark, Clyde Barker did in Hellraiser when Frank's skin would kind of hang off from that kind of jelly flesh, uh, you know, it's it's great and it's so weird that you wonder what's going on throughout this entire uh, segment. You, you call it British? I I don't know. <laughs> I I would not want to meet the person who can't sit through this twenty minute segment mm -hmm. and be interested. Oh no! I and again, I didn't mean it as. I didn't mean it as an insult. I mean, the style of it, just kind of the way the story plays out is an exact, it, it is more kind of in line with, uh, uh, I would say, other British uh, products than U.S. Just the way, just how the events play out. I mean, it, there's a lot more subtlety in this film as far as dialogue and the conversation than what you might get, you know. I think if this was a 60s U.S. short, there would be a lot more obvious things with the guys, <laughs> in all honesty. Mm. You, you know what I mean? Than, yeah. than, than they are in here. I, I, it's just a different approach to the storytelling. I, I did not mean it as a dig at all. I just mean if you watch enough, you can tell that, uh, you know, that this is not a necessarily a, a, an American production, just the way... Uh, the dialogue and, and the characters are handled. Um, and that doesn't make it any less interesting. It's just a different style. Um, yeah. It, it's got a different feel to it. Uh, Infobomb is with us. He uh, drops a few nuggets as always. He said, uh, Burgess Meredith was also in the Rosemary Baby wannabe, the Sentinel. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. Yeah. And then he said, please, Amicus, don't hurt him. <laughs> Hammer time. Oh, wow. He was hitting them all. And then he mentioned uh, Palance did play Dracula in a BBC production of Bram, of the Bram Stoker tale. I wasn't aware of that. I'd have to check that out. 
Um, and he mentioned there was an episode of Fantasy Island where David uh, Heitzen, uh, in one storyline of one of the episodes, played a man who was quite old but had made a pact with a Greek god, Pan, to have eternal youth. Uh, funny you mentioned that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We're going to get to uh, something similar that shows up here in Torture Garden with a famous person. Uh, Cushing was in a Brit anthology called Asylum. And he said Hammer also had a Twilight Zone-esque anthology series called Journey into Mystery, which uh, I will have to look up now because if it's anything like Torture Garden, yeah. Uh, you know, I love the performances by all. It's It's got a mixture of British and uh, American actors in it. Uh, the the uh, two female actors are from America. They notice that because the one guy is like, oh, hey. You're from America, aren't you? Hollywood. Oh, an actress. Oh, hey, you know, he's kind of he's kind of being the suave guy <laughs> when they first take the tour. Um, you know, and I uh, was Beverly Adams played mm -hmm. Carla. Yeah. I don't know if I was familiar with her before watching this movie, but she is a knockout. Um, yeah, yeah, that that cute little pixie cut and just <laughs> But also, I mean, I like that she is our heroine, mm -hmm. but she's also got her own agenda. Like she screws right. her roommate out of this opportunity for this date, like deliberately like taking an iron to the one fancy dress. She said, I had to work all, I had to work lunches for a, for a month, month for yeah. a month to buy this dress. And mm -hmm. Carla's just like, yeah, sorry, I'll, uh, I'll let you know how the date went. And, and Carla plays the Hollywood angle because she knew this producer guy with two tickets to a very suave dinner wasn't going to show up alone. So, oh, hey, I'm not doing anything. Uh, right. And <laughs> I, I like the, the Bruce Benton character when he's basically saying, uh, you know, it's flattering that you you grew up watching my movies. It's a great, great way of telling me I'm old without saying I'm old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then there's just the looks between him mm -hmm. and the the producer. You kind of wonder, there, there's a, like two or three different possibilities of what those looks could mean. And then at the end, you're like, wow, I didn't think it meant that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because I mean, given producer and even in 67, the reputation of Hollywood being, you know, hedonistic and whatnot, you figure maybe the, the actor and producer were going to do something that's going to put the unfortunate actress in a predicament of sorts that you know of a sexual nature or something but they don't know it turns out no they're they're robots uh made by a, a refugee scientist with unorthodox ways who has an accent <laughs> of uh yeah um yeah i liked how that played out and especially the end because she she screws over her roommate to get the break. She gets the break. She gets the job. She actually falls in love with the actor, which kind of causes her to dig deeper into this whole thing. But then it ends poorly for her because she thinks that, you know, she she realized she didn't want to be a loveless robot, but she knew their secret. And well, yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting because, I mean, she still has her own brain. It's just been transplanted into this cyborg body that her own flesh has been wrapped around. I don't know how they exactly did that. It's not explained and it doesn't, frankly, matter. No, it doesn't. But, but is she unhappy at the end? 
she the can way she I, kill herself? Can she <clears throat> can she take herself offline if this is like such a nightmare for her? I the the gist I got at the end of this short was um unlike the others who had been transplanted and who um act like a regular human or whatnot, I had a feeling they did some altercation to her consciousness as well when they put it into so she's more under their control because she was more robot like than the others when, yeah. when she's getting the picture and they they even drop the wonderful I, I I love the 60s and 50s movies they just drop the 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 line to let you draw your own conclusion yep she is truly our baby doll and they end it like that you're like and she's dressed up a little bit like a doll and she's got more of that you know frozen expression you're like oh they have her under control it's like she's a robot she'll probably not age you know she's got her own fans but yeah she's you know they kind of uh you know john malkovich her of sorts she's a fembot she's a fembot um, uh, uh freaking stepford wife I don't know. here's here's a great example of why not only this segment but this entire movie rocks mm -hmm. The restaurant that that she goes to with the the initial producer guy Michael, right. <clears throat> they kind of pan around the restaurant. You you get to see the people at the different tables and everything. They don't make a big deal about it, but in the middle of this thing is a giant snow globe with a girl in a Santa costume and someone. Uh, she's got a friend who's wearing something mm -hmm. else, and it's kind of like doing the glitter, you know, the confetti snow. And like, what the hell is going on? But they don't do any like close-ups or you know you don't follow inside they don't make a big deal about it. you just realize that that is in the room and also no one else seems to care it's just like, yeah it's it's, it's just, just more a, decoration yeah it's just a hollywood thing you know it's just them <laughs> it's just uh you know uh, that's the way they're written to that's why i said that it, it's a little british you know it's like them kind of poking fun at Hollywood too, though, at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I think if this had been, I'm just speculating, but if this had been an American production, it would have been like girls in go-go dancer cages. Mm -hmm. uh, and it would have been, you know, yeah. all these weird tilted angles and you really gotten a full <laughs> view of things. But uh, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's a great segment. It, it's interesting. You know, this was the second segment. The first segment before this uh, definitely has, this one kind of has a a bit of a spirit of the last segment in this film and we'll, we'll get to both but this first one it, it, a little bit of a, a a pull feel to it um where we get this uh, doctor who is visiting his sick uncle and he's in uh he needs money and his sick uncle ends up dying and well he's looking for these old coins his uncle may have had and he runs across a a coffin and he opens up the coffin and there's a headless skeleton in there and a cat comes out and well the cat ends up being balthasa is it or how uh, balthazar balthazar excuse me yeah. balthazar the cat and you can imagine what where it goes from there this cat has a peculiar hunger it has a peculiar ability and yeah this guy decides to do the bidding of the cat because he'll get paid in fortune. Uh, another one. This one was great. I love, I love all of these, but this was interesting. Again, not sure how it was going to play out. Yeah, and it's got 
one of those weird endings that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Because the guy, like, there, there's this, like, beheading motif. You mentioned that the body in the casket was beheaded. Right. Well, Balthazar uh, the, eats heads, so. Yeah, Balthazar yeah. eats heads. Um, the guy basically pitchforks this homeless person who's on his property, and that's how he gets the gold coins, and he's overcome with grief. But then there's this lady who comes by, and he attacks her, and the cop shows up. I don't know exactly what he was doing. He he had these trunks, and I guess the trunks were stuffed with the corpses, and they were yeah. the trunks were bleeding. Where was he going? What? I don't know where it was. Where he, he, was he should have just taken a cue and, and put them in the coffin and put them back underneath the you know in the basement. <laughs> I, well, um, it was a bit of a panic. I mean, when you've got a cat sure. telepathically telling you things, and if you don't do what the cat tells you telepathically, it scratches the inside of your head. So it's much like a real cat. So well, that's the great. You know. That's the other great thing is is just the the imagination when he's talking about you know the, it's like the cat is scratching the inside of my head. We do get a little bit of an audio mm-hmm. cue of you hear like mm-hmm. you know it's kind of it's, it's very subtle, but you know it's going on inside of his brain. But just the idea of a cat scratching inside your head and the the mania that that would that would induce, it's so good. My I do love this movie wholeheartedly, but. If I, I'm trying to figure out how I could say this, on one level, it's very, very hacky mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed who wrote this movie. No, I didn't. Robert Block wrote Psycho. Oh, yes. And at least three of these movies, of these little mini movies, are basically Psycho. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You've, yeah. You know, yeah. you've got the yeah. the corpse in the base. Mm-hmm. You know, the, in the basement, and and the the voice compelling you to to murder. Um, the very end with the Edgar Allan Poe story. There's a body that's been mm-hmm. you know hidden in the basement, and it compels you to murder. Like all this other, all these connections. Oh, the the piano, the piano which we haven't yeah. talked about. The the old yeah. Steinway with the guy who's mm-hmm. playing the piano that his mother gave him and his mother's portrait. I don't know what was going on with Robert Block if he had actual issues he was working out in his writing or <laughs> if he found the one thing yeah. <laughs> that he's like, I could I could ride this gravy train out for a decade because Psycho, the movie came out in 1960. The book was sure. written in the 50s and then this is 67. So, sure, damn. Well, you know, you, you, you stick with what you know, I guess. I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't, But that's that's the thing is if I had not... Because when I saw his name in the credits, I'm like, oh, because I love the novel Psycho. Sure, But then sure. I'm watching him like, I see what you're doing there, Block. I love it, but I, I'm on to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're just retailering your original script. But that's okay because it's still fun to watch. But it's totally it all, hacky. It all works, it's, too. It yeah. works. Yeah, it's it very still effective. works. <laughs> Hedison, more information from Infobomb. He was the original version of The Fly where he was billed as his birth name, Al. Edison, and he was also in a canon production, hey, uh, The Naked Face, starring Roger Moore, and he played Felix Leiter in Live and Let Die and License to Kill. So mm-hmm. there, and no, the glitter was not, Mary, no, Mariah Carey was not in, she's not thawed out yet. She doesn't thaw out until closer <laughs> to end of October. Hopefully not until Thanksgiving, but sometimes radio stations thaw her out earlier so uh a cat scratch fever and uh well there is a hack 
there is a coffin. That uh, yeah, I could I could see that. Uh, but yeah, you know, it 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 uh, did kind of feel a bit psychoist ish uh, as far as the basement and the the corpse and that. But again, it's another short to well, you're listening to this and we're spoiling the shit out of it. But you you watch these even when you watch them if you know what's going to happen because this is like the fourth time I've watched this movie. Um, and you know, you still watch it. You're like trying to see if you can tell where they give hints of where it's going. And, and you, you, you're not, you, you don't, you don't know exactly how it's going to play out. You know, it's probably not going to play out well for mm. our principal character, you know, just because you had Burgess Meredith, uh, you know, running the doctor, the, the Diablo wax museum, complete literally with mustache twirl like he literally had a twirling mustache at one point uh with his makeup before he removes it which is beautiful it's like burgess meredith 67 he's in the middle of his penguin hype um you know and it's it's beautiful to see him in that character but you know these shorts aren't going to play out well that's the whole kind of theme uh that it's showing your future so, yeah, we've got this guy here who, uh, you know, he's like, huh, it's some trickery. And so it's like, ah, it's still it's still hypnosis or whatnot. Well, you know? before we move on, yeah. um, talking about an unpredictable ending, he ends up in jail because mm -hmm. the, the constable sees the leaking, uh, the, the leaking blood uh, travel trunk. So he's in jail. And he's trying to explain to everybody what happened. Nobody believes him. So the night watchman locks him up and then leaves and the guy turns around and he sees the cat in the cell with him you know balthazar mm -hmm. and then he starts screaming and we follow the cop from his desk back over to the cell and we see the body laying in the cot and it's it, there's no, no head. head it's just like there's blood no dripping head. off the bed i'm like i it doesn't make any sense really <laughs> well i guess if balthazar ate his head magically yeah. but it's just such a such a Tales from the Crypt, like, creepy ending. Well, and then and then the, the bookend to that, even still, is like, oh, okay, you know, we'll, we'll cut away. We don't cut away because Balthazar sticks his head out. He goes, oh, hi, policeman, and sits up on a chair by the policeman, and the policeman's like, oh. And then we cut away. So, you know, I mean, it's it doesn't just end with the headless corpse in, in the bed. We, we end it with the cat came back. He couldn't stay away. He came back the very next day. Um, sorry. Uh <laughs> I just love that that guy, I can't remember the character's name, but the, the main character in this yeah. segment, he's looking into his future. Yeah. So, but the story of his future continues on after he's been beheaded. He's like, why do I care what happens at <laughs> cop? This is for the audience. Yeah, it's it's for the this. audience. It's not for you. <laughs> You know, he's watching the story. So, you know, it's 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 one of those things where he might not care. But, you know, the 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 fate shears are like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Check this out. Sucker still keeps going, too. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, like the cool thing about this is I don't know if it's in the I guarantee it's in the performances, possibly the direction. But these people, none of them, they have that kind of an inkling like. I don't really believe what I've just seen. It seemed really real, 
but you know, there's no way this is impossible. Like none, it must be like some kind of a hypnosis or something. But they just keep standing there, waiting for the next person to to go up, and it's as if they're waiting for the next person to be the one to say, "I really believe this. Let's get the hell out of here." But everyone has the same reaction. Like they can't. They're still tempted. They just got to hold on a little bit more so that someone else can have the agency and give them the courage to <laughs> to turn their back on the devil. It's it's morbid curiosity, and also uh, Doctor Diablo plays to it because, as much as he plays the showman when we first see him and when our characters are introduced to him, he's the showman. He's got the twirly mustache and the makeup. He actually takes that off halfway through while they're viewing to the shears, to where he's just looking like a normal schmo, you know. And they're like, "Oh, this is hypnosis. Oh, you do these people ahead of time." He's like, "I didn't know anybody. This is just." It's showing you your possible future. He's like, that's what the shears do. You know, he doesn't he doesn't push the point too hard, but he doesn't have to with this group because, like you said, I think it's the morbid curiosity to where they do yet they don't yet they do want to peer in because they're like, ah, it's gotta be BS. You know, they're they're looking for, I think you like you said, either the validation that it is real or the validation that this is all a bunch of uh hoopla. And, you know, this is all just shenanigans. <laughs> this is this is BS. Um, and you get three, you get four stories that aren't, um, you know, we, we have uh, we'll move on to our third one in this, which is uh, the friend of the actress. She peers into it. And Ian, why don't you tell our folks what this story one is about? I mean, I, I think this is the weakest <clears throat> of the mm -hmm. three, probably because it's got the most connection to, to Psycho. And also, <laughs> it's about a possessed piano. I love it. I love possessed musical instruments, but sorry, go ahead. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's it's just one of those things, like, it feels like it's, even though it's 20 minutes like they all are, mm -hmm. it feels like a five-minute short, right? Um, yeah. because we all kind of, this is, I think the most predictable out right. of the, out of the ones. Mm -hmm. Um, but essentially there's this musical pianist genius who plays this piano that his mother had given to him. He's got his portrait of his mother hanging. That's always kind of watching him in the studio. Oh, I mean, no, stu not, where, it's the goddess hmm? of music. It's not his mother. Well, no, that that was you. No, Utepe was the the name of the piano. Oh, that's right. right. I apologize. Yes, the right. portrait was of his mom. Yes, that's right. Um, and that the 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 lady in the portrait, that actress shows up throughout the movie. She's like the connective tissue mm -hmm. in each of the the kind of the fantasies. She's a character who shows up and is kind of giving the evil eye to everybody. But um, <laughs> I love the design of the studio with those big black floors, and it's just really cool. Um, but anyway. This lady kind of is an admirer of this guy, and they fall in love. And there's a, I guess, his manager or producer or somebody is kind of telling her about the the story of the the mother and like the bond that'll never break or some nonsense. I I was kind of checked out mm -hmm. during this one, honestly. Um, but anyway, she tries to convince pianist guy to come away with him or her, and he's like, I don't know if I could do that. I'm remembering this correctly. He goes off somewhere. She's in the studio alone at night. The piano starts. This is the most effective thing. Starts playing that funeral dirge. Oh, that was great. <laughs> and then there's like no lights in the room. It's completely dark. And then the piano just starts. And we're like at the POV almost of the piano. It starts moving 
and advancing on her and it traps her and it pushes her out a window and she falls down, dies horrifically, like eyes open, glass and blood everywhere. And you can still hear the music coming from the studio uh, upstairs. Um, and then it just ends with, you know, the son playing the piano again. Not that he wanted that to happen necessarily, but, you know, uh, hey, a boy's best friend is his mother. Yeah, yes, it is. You're right. This one, this one, uh, I would say, is the most predictable of them. You know where it's, you, you know where this is headed right away. He's the, the, the artiste. He's the super famous artiste. And she is enamored. And he talks about mother and the goddess of music a lot. And you're just like, oh, okay, okay, all right. Yeah, this is not, this is just leave. Don't, don't, just do your report on him and leave. Don't fall in love. No, you fall in love. Okay, here we go. Oh, great. Now you're confronting the agent and you, you're you saying, well, he's mine now. No, don't say that. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just. Didn't she put, Was am I remember this correctly? There was a picture that he she put of herself or her and yeah, him she, on the piano and she, it cracked yeah there there are some effective things the most effective things about this short are the stuff you don't actually see the stuff that they do with the piano to give it some uh character it's not just him talking to her to to the piano at one point um it's it's actually after she gives him the photo uh no it was before that i'm sorry uh, the scene before that, where she's at the piano, she put her hands down and she was going to play and the thing closes on her piano, her hands. She moves right away. I love it. I, I, the best parts of this are the stuff they do with the piano because it's just really cool to have this because we're not talking CGI or anything. So they're using some really old school horror film tactics to give you personality and get your scares on and your creepiness for this piano. Uh, like you said, there's a picture she gives uh, the artist and they play at it again. I, this is where I love the direction of this because uh, we already saw the one scene once where it closes on her fingers. And we know by this midpoint in the story where she they're in love and she gives them the picture that uh, there's something up with the piano. The piano's got to be possessed. You know, we figure something's going on with it. She, there's a shot right after she gives them the picture that she puts her hands on, she starts playing the piano and there's a shot of the hands and you're just waiting like you're expecting to it close on her hands and then fingers and bloody something, but it doesn't. But the director still pauses on the hands that are playing like, are we? Are we going to close it on you? No, not this time. But like you said, <laughs> then when they're out of the room, suddenly the picture falls off the frame. Uh, and yeah, my fa the favorite part uh, there's another part where the music is playing, but he's not in the room. He's actually just listening to the piano play. Uh, but I loved the grave. I loved when he leaves and it's just her and a piano and the piano started playing the, the, oh man, just slow enough to like, Wait, is is that playing? Oh, it is playing. And then she goes in the room and you're like, why are you going in the room? Why leave when a piano <laughs> plays by itself, plays that song? That's a red flag. Okay. That's that's just a red flag that, you know, the funeral mark. No, 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 I'm not going in there. But she goes in there and yeah, regrets it. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. Is like it's the weakest of the three, but it's still pretty damn good. Oh yeah, no, it's still it's still solid. I mean, all of these, any one of these would fit into a Alfred Hitchcock presents Easy, or a you know, like you said, Tales from the Crypt. Uh, uh, you know, easily the way they're handled, they're they're done that they're crafted that well and that entertaining to where even the weakest one, you're still like, okay, that was fun because it ends on a strong note. Oh. Oh, I could have said let, not, I could have said bloody. Have I could have said bloody. No, there you go. Uh, no, 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 you're not. no I can't. I can't have that one. Okay, no. all right. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then we get to the last one, which a lot of people you're just waiting for. Jack Palance's character goes up to look in the shears, very enthusiastically. He's here. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. St- I'm stepping up. I'm I'm looking at it. I can't wait. Well, it's here that it's kind of revealed. I think this is where it's kind of revealed that he's not part of the act. Right, yeah. Because he's always kind of in the background. Mm-hmm. Michael Ripper is the older gentleman who was part of that group of four. And so you think he's going to be the next one, but he's kind of like skittish and Palance's character steps up. Uh, and then we're off to the races. And he plays a uh, admirer of Edgar Allan Poe. He collects rare books. Um, but he doesn't have nearly as much cool post stuff as Peter Cushing. <laughs> because <laughs> it's like if there was going to be anyone who has a massive collection of post stuff, <laughs> it would be Cushing. So, like, his name is, I just want to make sure I get this right. Was it, was it Ronald Wyatt or Wild? Uh, I think it was Wyatt. Wyatt, yeah, Ronald yeah, Wyatt. Wyatt. Yeah. Okay. And then Peter Cushing's character is, this is such a great name, Lancelot Canning. I know, right? It's like, it's like, ah, oh, we got we got Peter Cushing for another film. All right, I'm gonna make him, I'm gonna make him Simon Phillips. No, no, it's Peter <laughs> Cushing. You're not naming him Simon Phillips. No, this is Peter. No. Lancelot Canning. There you go. That's a Peter Cushing name. I might just go have my name legally changed to Lancelot Canning. Because that's the most badass Peter it Cushing is. name ever. It is. It's so cool. Mm. It, and so it's they, so fitting. <laughs> right, but they, they meet at their, I guess, it feels like it's a an auction or, or something. And they're talking, or maybe it's a it's an exposition. I think it's an ex, expo, exposition. Exposition. Exposition, an expo. Yeah. Expo. It's an expo. Yes. yes. Uh, it's uh, for displaying shit. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, and then so they get into this kind of like a dick measuring contest, um, <laughs> and then Canning is like, "Well, I've got this first edition." And then he's like, "If you ever in the area, swing by." And then we cut to um, Jack Palance's uh, Mr. Wyatt showing up at uh, Lancelot Canning's door, and he's like, I didn't think you'd meant right away. <laughs> like, come on in. Come on in. Hey, I'm a older bachelor or widow, whatever. We don't know for sure. Probably bachelor with the collection he has because collectors, you know, anyway. Uh- <laughs> well, it's, you know, talk about misdirection. Mm-hmm. I th- The way that they were going, because you there's a few different, sort of red herrings or at least plot threads that are right. that are revealed here. You're like, okay, is he 
somehow Edgar Allan Poe. He just right. never died um, because he's got such a collection of, he's got Poe's flute. Um, he's got like articles of clothing and furniture. And then he says, if you want to see something crazy, come with me down into the basement or yeah, the after dungeon. they get drunk. After right. They, get they, drunk. They, they, they do start drinking. And it's, it's so, just so great to see Peter Cushing acting hammered. Like that, that's my new favorite thing in the world. Um, oh, hammered. They, oh, no. <laughs> all night, baby. All night. I need to get some sleep because I am way off my guard and my game. Um, but they go into the basement and there's even more rare things down there, including a bunch of manuscripts. And uh, Mr. Wyatt is like, I'm the foremost expert on Poe. I don't know what, I don't recognize any of this. And it turns out it's new stories. And they're talking and Canning's getting a little uncomfortable. So he's like, maybe we should just go back upstairs. And Wyatt picks up another piece of paper. And he holds the candle up to it. Because this is all candlestick lighting, baby. There's no like light switches yeah. in this place. Um, but he's like, the watermark on here is from 1961 or 66. Yeah, six, yeah. What's up with this? It, this is a fake. This is a fraud. What, how, you know, explain yourself. Um, and then they kind of, he's like, no, I, I think you better leave. Uh, and then Wyatt notices a third key. I guess the first key opened up a door upstairs and the second right. one was for the basement. And then He's the very third was like, what is this for? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and he sees that third key and there's a struggle and Wyatt hits Mr. Canning over the head with the metal candlestick and he's presumed dead because he's so, bleeding from the temple. So it was um, Wyatt with the candlestick in the basement. <laughs> in the basement. <laughs> in the dungeon, yes. In the dungeon. <laughs> Before I go any further, I want to just pull over and just say that I I know Jack Palance from Batman and mm -hmm. City Slickers. I don't know that I've seen, and I've never seen Shane. I've never seen like the movies that really put him on the map. But just to see him in this role playing like a lit geek, <laughs> like he's getting so, he's so nerdy, but he still looks like Jack Palance, but he's got this this joy i mean before everything goes really dark but when he's like seeing the books and all his other stuff is like this is so cool well not only that he's not he doesn't jack palance is one of those many actors that has that voice you hear his voice you're, you you want there's a reason why he narrated ripley's believe it or not and there's a reason why i watched ripley's believe it or not i watched ripley's believe it or not because jack palance narrated the thing and when he did it added like two more layers of just mystery to the Ripley's believe it or not in Italia you know he would just start off with that Jack Pal and you're just like ooh you know he's talking about the origins of pizza and you're just like ooh because he has that really cool kind of evil voice of sorts but the whole th it's weird watching his part because like you said he is a lit pogue geek but he's talking in a higher pitch very enthusiastic happy not gonna kick your ass you know just because jack palin's voice it's this happy geek voice it's so weird to see and such a joy to see him in such a be such a happy geek but at the same time you're like that voice is just throwing me off <laughs> well it's also because he's got the look that we've been seeing since yeah. the beginning of the movie of him in this like dark suit and this mustache and very much a kind of a serious sinister look on his face that when you see it 
it's almost you almost forget about all that it's not disconcerting or inconsistent it's just like oh i'm watching this guy now but it's great um if you want to pull over to a couple of the comments because yeah. I, I feel like i need to address this um yes mr uh, mr Baum, i've never seen um tango all of tango and cash tango and cash uh, and I've never seen Cyborg 2. I stopped after the first one. So <laughs> that's yeah. all you, you really need to see. Cyborg is all you need. Yeah, I do I do need to I do need to watch because I think the only time I saw Tango and Cash was when I was on cable when I was like 13, like the year after it came oh, let's out. Let's cut the hell up. You can't watch it on cable. It's like it's like yeah, whatever. No, like like okay. HBO or whatever. It was, oh, okay, it was on, I got yeah, you. Okay, yeah. Okay, not okay. not like TV or whatever. Okay, but, no. Um but yeah, I just it's it's one of those blind spots. Whenever someone mentions, I'm like, I need to fucking watch Tanko and Cash. <laughs> then again, I'd never watched Big Trouble in Little China all the way through until like two years ago. Um, there you go. Is that is that unusually thin? What is that? No, it's a VHS. Oh, it's VHS. Okay. For a second, I thought I didn't see the the thickness oh. of the spine. I thought it was like a really thin DVD. No, like, no, it's not what one of those thin. That? It's not like one of those thin dollar store cases no that's the vhs i got which yes i do have it on uh, i think on blu-ray and dvd but i have it on vhs too don't judge anyway uh yes and yes robert uh we do know he did also host ripley's believe it or not which is again why i watched that show if nothing else um but so getting back to the uh the movie yeah um wyatt notices this i can't remember how he found it but like this chamber opens up. How did he? How did he discover this thing? Uh, did well, he, he put the key in the door. Or yeah, he put. Else? Yeah, no, he put the key in the door and it opened the chamber because it didn't okay. actually open the door. It opened because because he turns around and he sees right this thing because he heard the, the thing started to open when he turns the key in the door. It actually opens up the room, the secret room, uh, where yeah, no, uh, you know. Canning doesn't have Poe's ashes in this ornate box from his grandfather. No, no. We, yeah, we didn't mention that. Yeah, that yeah. was that was the other thing. Because yeah. that's what triggered the suspicion that Wyatt had, because he had this box, and he's like, Canning, it was, what's, what about this box? And he's like, oh, he's like, uh, my grandfather was a uh, cor basically grave robber. He'd sell corpses to, for scientific study, and he happened just happened across the last resting place of Poe, and he, you know, put all the dust into this box and why it's like i've never heard this poe story before and it sounds like a bunch of poo poo poe and so he's like he opens the box he's like wait there's no ashes in here and that's where the conflict is with the key and everything and when it opens up he's like oh you've got something better than ashes you got yourself straight up edgar Allan poe in your dungeon well and then so when this chamber opens up it's essentially a writing desk with ink and quills and parchment and a skeleton hanging over it and you see this body that is firstly it initially is partially obscured so it's like is it a skeleton in a poe yeah. outfit but no it's a flesh and blood human being and when wyatt goes in he talks to him and yeah. poe kind of like turns and it's a great i don't know who this who the actor was oh who played poe uh, yeah, I'm if they'll, sure. they I even credit think, him as I don't know Edgar Allan Poe. I don't think they do because it would probably give it too much away. But yeah, be like a spoiler or something. Not that um, IMDb is above showing spoilers, Con. <laughs> um, uh, what? But uh, 
the but the performance is oh Hedger is great. Hed, Hedger Wallace sorry Hedger Wallace Hedger Hed, yeah H E D G E R so Hedger Wallace uh, it might be Hedger yeah or Hedger yeah he was in a, a number it looks like a number of BBC shows for quite some time um, mostly oh and some movies as well uh, Passport to China um, okay so he's been in a number of things too but he's he's wonderful um, as Poe doesn't yeah. you know doesn't feel like he looks exactly like him but he looks enough he's got the spirit of him it's strange um because we do see a portrait of edgar Allan poe i think upstairs yes and to me he looked more like john wilkes booth he did he did look a little <laughs> more like booth <laughs> but anyway so poe is is talking to wyatt and why it's like you you've seen you've unlocked the mystery you know the mysteries of the you know eternity and everything and Poe's like yeah it's fucking great I essentially I'm gonna deal with the devil um so the only way I'm I'm immortal but if I give this up that I'm condemned to hell and the only way that I can escape that is if someone takes my place in hell or am destroyed by fire, fire or something right like yeah that, right and so um Wyatt says well I'll help you out <laughs> but I want to know all your secrets and then he lights everything on fire it's a bit of a strange I didn't quite Pope, I almost got Pope. the feeling that he got well he sets everything on fire and then he starts to leave but then he's like you can never leave and then he's surrounded by flames but he doesn't seem too upset about it no he and I think you know he doesn't seem too upset about it and I think it's because if you're a Poe fan, like fanatic, like we're talking, we're talking, you know, toxic Star Wars fandom. Oh my God, they made the color of this one arrow on the sleeve of the one side character the wrong color type of fan. If you're a Poe fan, to get taken out by having the wool pulled over your eyes, uh, yeah, yeah, I did that. I, I totally did that. Um, <laughs> having the wool pulled over your eyes and dying like that, you know, at one point, yeah, I'm going to die. On the other hand, I'm like, yeah, if I'm, that's cool. I just got killed by Poe because Edgar Allan Poe said, yeah, you could either take my place at this desk or, you know, cleanse the things by fire. He's like, he cleanses by the fire and Poe's like, yeah, no, you're still screwed. Sorry, chief. No, I lied. He doesn't say I lied, but he basically said, Oh, yeah, by the way, I forgot to tell you, he who cleanses me with fire uh, is going to be in hell, too. So <laughs> you're pretty Yeah, I, I maybe it's just because I watched it the one time. I didn't quite like the, the nuances of the deal just didn't, I didn't quite pick up on it. Um, especially because at the end, end of this movie, when we get back out into the carnival, in Dr. Diablo's torture garden, um mr wyatt ultimately decides hey that you know i i do want to strike up a deal with the devil everything i've just seen is crazy and dark but i still want a part of it which is really messed up <laughs> it is uh but at the same time you know it's it's just an interesting story uh, this is the one mm -hmm. that really cemented it for me and especially the way it ended because you're just like wait what 
And then you're like, Poe's like, yeah, you're screwed. Because <laughs> I'm Edgar Allan Poe. I am the original goth, and I just goth you with my bet. No, not that one. No. Not that one. But, <laughs> but I will say one of the things I did, even though I'm, I'm a bit puzzled by the ambiguity of it, I did love just the visual of the flames all around Jack Palance and Jack Palance kind of digging it. It wasn't the cliche of like, oh, I've just been screwed and I'm going to like scream and be all like hot and literally hot and bothered by it. He actually seemed like really into it, just made it more disturbing. He's fascinated by it. Uh, in fact, yeah, he's just like, this is this is wild. He's like, oh, my God. Poe just lit the fire and I'm around all this Poe stuff and it's burning down and this is just like he just seems very enamored uh, with the whole situation of uh, you know and uh, yeah I you know which is funny because when they do that and watching it this time around it almost made me wonder whether he was smiling because you know he's being taken out and kind of going out this way being killed by Poe, or if they're alluding to the fact that he is aware that this is a vision of the future and he's smiling because he's getting a kick out of what he just saw. Because when we cut to him staring at the shears and the shears, whenever they end the the vision, it cuts the line. He's rather happy. He, he's actually amused. He's not disturbed. He's amused. Yeah. Um, you know that, that's a possibility i mean <clears throat> because he could he, have been such a he could have been such a post super fan that just the the idea that he could get to meet his mm -hmm. idol maybe if maybe he figures well i know what's going to happen so if i know what's going to happen i'm just going to super be ready to enjoy it while it's going which, on which talking to you now it's really clicking because if that is his future and he feels that diablo is the devil, you know, Burgess Meredith is the devil. He decides to stick around because after this event, they stage a stabbing of Diablo by the one guy who doesn't do the vision. He ends up grabbing the shears and stabbing Diablo and people run out. Ah, it's scared. And then you find out it's all, all smoke and mirrors. Uh, but Mr. Wyatt was sitting in the background this whole time just watching this. He knows who Diablo really is, and they talk about possibly striking a deal after he saw the vision. Now, if the vision's in the future and he's smiling, it makes me wonder what deal he may have struck with the devil. If we get into time thing here, let's just... I was just thinking about this, yeah, because it's... <laughs> My God. So if during the vision that he's having with the shears, it's that time loop thing where in that fantasy vision, he has already made the deal with the devil. So he gets to meet his hero and he understands that he understands what's going to happen. Right. That's why he's that's why he's kind of cool with it, because he's like, well, this is exactly what I signed up for. <laughs> he's cool with it because what happened was what he expected. And it explains yes. why he's so overly enthusiastic and it comes around and maybe the writers intended that or not. But that's the way you could actually take this, because if you think about that being his future and why he'd be happy that he's burning down and then you cut back to him making saying, hey, you, you know, Hey, we got to talk. And he's like, ah, okay, we'll talk. 
It's you know, Doc like, wearing the bulletproof vest at the end of Back to the Future. <laughs> it's Doc wearing the bulletproof <laughs> vest at the end. Of, he made some kind of deal, you know, which it very well could have been a deal. Hey, I'll get you Poe's soul that's been trapped for so long that you're owed, you know, if I get to meet him. How about Holy that? Holy shit. Yes. <laughs> and that's why he's happy because he's not going to actually die in the fire because he got to deliver Poe to the devil. Which I'm taking it to a whole nother level. That's probably I, no. I would I would read I would read a novel or watch a movie that is just about Wyatt. that segment of Torture Garden <laughs> combined with our theory that we're coming up with yes, here. Yes, I, I I'd be down for that. I and it could play out like that because that's the way it kind of ends. And then uh, you know, for '67 they try to do their best special transformation effect, which is the ye old in camera uh, dissolve uh, where. You know, Diablo looking normal, everybody leaves, including Wyatt, and then they do a little flip. He's like, Oh, well, what sometimes people get away and, and they can handle the truth. And then they do this little he, back of his head, it's dissolving. He turns around and he's got the mustache and the horns. He's like, oh, But do you? And then they go to credit. <laughs> it's it's so a nice closing good. shot, but what I was hoping that they were doing, and I was <clears throat> that dissolve, that little transition. <laughs> I'm not going to say it almost ruined it for me, but I was like, oh, no. no. Because in my mind, the way that they staged him turning his back mm -hmm. to the camera and walking, he walks quite a significant way as he's monologuing. Yes. I just imagined that because you don't see all of his head, it's partially obscured in shadow, right? Yes. I was imagining some makeup person, like, just off camera, like, reaching their hand up and like sticking the mustache on and sticking the horns on or something so that when he turned around, it would be that kind of an effect. And I'm kind of disappointed it wasn't because I'm convinced they could have pulled it off <laughs> without, that, without that awesome, oh, yeah. awful, watery, watery yeah. color shift. Yeah, that's nonsense. the only thing. But by that point, I didn't care. I, I was fine. Yeah. Uh, I figure we'll toss some trivia because it's a 1967 film and I always love a little bit of the stories. Apparently, uh, we've got uh, this movie was shown in 67 and they we know the 60s. I kind of miss these wild promos. Now only critics or those who are in the know get the nifty little tchotchke boxes. But in 1967, one of the promos was a pack of torture garden seeds given to the patrons as they entered the theater. The seeds were actually grass seeds. But they gave him little packets of seeds that said Torture Garden on them. I would love to have one of those packets. I really would. They probably don't exist anymore, but I would love to get one of those. And then apparently Columbia Pictures financed the movie and insisted that two American actors be cast. Therefore, the initial casting of Peter Cushing and Sir Christopher Lee was changed to that of Jack Palance and Burgess Meredith. So they still got Cushing. But they were going to put Christopher Lee in there, probably in the role of Meredith, but they ended up getting Palance and Meredith because this is a Columbia picture produced. They did fork over the money for it. I'm um, I'm glad they ended up uh, where yeah. they did. Yeah. This movie was released in the U.S. as top half of a double feature with Trog from 1970, which was Joan Crawford's final movie. Uh, both of them were directed by Freddie Francis. And... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Barbara Ewing in here, uh, who played Dorothy Endicott, uh, received an introducing crap, uh, credit. So introducing Barbara Ewing. Uh, <laughs> All right. So yeah, it's uh, 
it's interesting that uh oh burgess meredith does come back later in twilight zone printer's devil from 1963 actually this was before i'm sorry in 1963 uh burgess meredith uh, played the devil in 19 on printer's devil so this was the second time that he played the devil which if you're going to get someone to play a devil in your film uh yeah <laughs> you know it's he is so great in this and i think i feel like this is almost a good like hammer sampler mm-hmm. you know christopher lee in it but you know you've got some other heavy hitters in here but what i love about the hammer performances is they're so earnest and even when they're playing someone big like the devil, it never gets hammy. It's never no. like you can't sit there and laugh at like, oh, this is so cheesy. It's just committed and you can tell that they're having fun. They're having fun, but it's not like the idea of like, oh, it's just a blast on set. We're amusing each other. No, you, f- you feel like he's having fun creating this larger than life character who's meant to scare the hell out of the other characters in the scene. It- it's the appeal of the stuff during this time with these older veteran actors who are still getting work. I mean, as much as everybody pokes fun at or, or poke fun, but as we have fun with the 60s Batman and, and you know, Adam West in that, why that f- those shows work and why you are just so entertained is, of course, the villains, but the committedness of these veteran actors to these crazy characters, give them a different level than what they might if someone just kind of hammed it, oh, I'm playing, you know, Vincent Price. Oh, I'm playing a guy named Professor Egghead or whatever. Doesn't matter. Vincent puts his all in. Burgess Meredith plays a guy who's a penguin who walks around and goes, rah. But yet (laughs) he does it with such commitment and such seriousness as he takes it as serious, even though he's having fun, as far as the effort he puts into it, he puts as much effort into the goofy character as he does a Shakespearean character. And that's what I think makes the appeal for a lot of these films. And like even here, like you said, he easily could have just phoned it in with this. But he is committed enough to play it with at least a little nuance in that of evil and that to make him creepy. But he's not over the top, like, just laugh at him creepy. You're like, okay, the makeup at first, but when he starts doing the second half of his show you're like okay i'm a little unnerved now if i was in this group i'd say you know what keep the five pounds lady you know (laughs) it's it's, um yeah there's some nuance there so and oh uh barbara ewing uh in that segment mr steinway uh she was the one that was actually jumping out the window because her stunt double was sick that day she landed on oh the mattress, my gosh. but she actually she actually got pushed through that window. That is the actress. Um, so very interesting stuff from IMDb. And I always love to read some of those trivia tidbits from uh, especially kind of obscure <laughs> older films uh, because that that's just fascinating. And this film's fascinating. And we're going to wrap it up tonight. Uh, yeah, Torture Garden. Ian, I think I know what your answer is, but go ahead, recommend it. Oh, highest highest possible recommendation. <laughs> this this movie is awesome. It's got it all. Um, I I did take a moment here just to mm-hmm. look up and I on eBay and I can't find any of those torture garden yeah, promo no, seeds. So because people probably tossed them or kept them and they're not letting them go, or they grew their own torture garden with them. Which don't Google torture garden. 
<laughs> if, it's if not you, at work. If you Google Torture Garden, make sure you put 1967 after it, okay? Because if you <laughs> just put Torture Garden, you might just get results for uh, BDSM Club. So uh, careful with that. Unless you're into that, which... I was going to say, what if you're looking if, for it? If you are looking for that, great. And if you're looking for that and happen to be across, run across this movie, watch this movie before or after you go to the actual torture garden because i agree it's a it's a fun film i watched this a number of times there's a reason why i own it um it, it pulled me in because of the names and it kept me there because of the stories and it's just fascinating and i think we forget that we get some of these big named actors in that especially in the 50s and 60s those classic actors and we forget not every film they were in were the big blockbuster classics. They were a lot of side stuff as well, you know. Well, that's that's the thing is, um, you know, going through these all these Hammer movies because yeah. last year we did the Dracula and the Frankenstein, you know, the, sure. the heavy hitters, mm -hmm. and now Son of Hammerland. We're going through all the the ones that are kind of the off-brand mm -hmm. ones, um, and those are just as much uh, of an enjoyment as. Mm -hmm. The ones that everybody knows and torture garden i think this is one where i'm just scratching my head like why isn't this like on everybody's <laughs> lips so good i don't know either but uh yeah it it's a lot of fun and i say you check it out it's on streaming there's there's ways you can get it there's dvds still out i think uh uh and if you're fortunate enough arrow did a limited blu-ray release of this with a whole bunch of you know arrow extra stuff but i think it's way out of print and expensive now, unfortunately. Um, mm. But I would love to get my hands on that as well because the DVD is sweet. It's got subtitles as well as some uh, 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 trailers from 2005 for direct-to-video stuff on here. So I've got a trailer. Oh, joy. I've got a trailer for Frankenfish on here. I know you're envious. You're envious. Look at the envy, envy on your face, envy. <laughs> it's I'm green, all right, but not with envy. <laughs> Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you to our watchers, which we had tonight, especially Infobomb. Always glad to hear from you, sir. Uh, thank you to all our listeners out there. Uh, keep us going. You keep us moving. Thank you for listening. And now, as always, license to shill for my crew. Ian, the floor is yours. Well, thank you. I'm uh, Ian Simmons. I run Kicking the Seat, which you can find at kickseat.com. I also have a YouTube channel, which you can find at Kicking the Seat on youtube and uh, we do reviews and interviews and round tables and all that kind of stuff um so yeah check it out uh wednesday tomorrow when we're recording this but probably in the past when you listen to this i'm doing a live stream uh round table review quote unquote round table because i have no idea who's going to show up for this <laughs> if anyone we'll be talking about the new disney plus uh pinocchio pinocchio Is that a riff on Ricola? No, it's not. Maybe. I, I, I'm all there for it, and I enjoyed that more than I enjoyed watching Pinocchio. So, spoiler on my thoughts of the movie. But um, he no, see says how that, that, but his nose just grew and hit the camera. So we'll have to listen to see if he's telling the truth or not. Oh, wasn't my nose? Sorry. Um, <laughs> oh, is that what that was? All right. Yeah. That's why. Um, <laughs> lie to me, Pinocchio. Lie to me. Anyway. <laughs> 
Oh, no. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think on that note, we're just going to say uh, good night, everyone. <laughs> good night. Good night. <laughs> Lie to me. Don't lie to me. Lie to me. Tell the truth. Lie to me. Tell the truth. Lie to me. Lie to me. Tell the truth. Meanwhile, atop the Umbrella Factory, we find the sinister secret headquarters of the rascally penguin and his fine feathered finks.